0: All right, I've got good news. In my class at Anderson, I say I got good news and I got bad news. Uh, I'll just do the good news with you guys. All right, I got good news tonight. You want to know what it is? Good news is Miss Lisa is in the nursery. Now, let me tell you why that's good news. Because she's put me under instructions don't you go long tonight. So you're going to get out on time or early. It has been declared. Um, Plus, I do want to let you out on time or early so that you can go to our fellowship. Just a reminder, immediately after this uh, Bible study, we're going over to the building right next door. And we're going to have a a time of uh, fellowship, churchwide fellowship, for Chris Meadows. And to thank him and his wife. Uh, Jennifer, for being on our, or Chris, for being on our church staff uh, for 10 years, and we're going to celebrate his 10-year anniversary, and I'm going to ask you to be thinking, even right now, be thinking of what you, what could you share over there, and I'm going to give you a couple of ideas, okay? I, I think you should be able to share something like, now remember, he's been here for 10 years. Remember that time when Chris did, you know, just fill in the blood. remember that time when Chris, we need to laugh a little bit, Okay? So just go ahead and prime the pump. Remember that time when, Chris, I'll ask you to fill in the blanks in a, in a little bit. Or it could be, if you want to get uh, more serious, you could say, I want to tell you what I appreciate about Chris over the last 10 years. Okay, so we'll be talking about those kind of things. And and, and uh, we've got, we got cake, and we'll have a great time of fellowship. That'll be immediately after the Bible study. <clears throat> Now, if you will, open God's Word to Revelation chapter 4. We are studying on Sunday nights uh, through the book of Revelation. And it has been said uh, by one or two that the Lord will come back before we get through this book. <laughs> and that might be, that may be true. Revelation chapter 4, we're going to cover an entire chapter tonight. You're going to be very proud of us. We're going to cover a whole chapter. Uh, I hope we are. Uh, And I hope you've got your notes. They're in various places if you still need to go pick one up. I want to talk to you tonight about the throne in heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, we are introduced to the throne room of heaven. And it's the key word in this chapter. In fact, the word throne is used 11 times in 11 short verses. There's only 11 verses in the whole chapter. So the word throne is used 11 times in 11 verses. I want you to look for that word, note that word, as I read. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you right now. Again, it's only 11 verses. But I want you to look for the word throne as I read through Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard first, the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and pills of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These were the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and behind and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third was, had the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. And even under his wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, and this is significant, they never stopped. They would never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that in this brief time we might get a glimpse of what it is like around the throne of heaven. Show us, Lord, help us to understand by your Holy Spirit. Teach us tonight. May the Spirit of God be our teacher as you lead us through the Word of God. And and God, I pray that we'd have a deeper appreciation and and an absolute trust that our lives and our world and the future is in your hands. And I say that and pray that in Christ's name. Amen. It's not by accident that in Revelation chapter 4, we see so much reference to the throne. And it's not by accident that early in the book, before we start reading about the catastrophes that are coming, and the mark of the beast, and Satan, and all of these kind of things you're going to read about in the book of Revelation, it's not by accident that early in the book, in Revelation chapter 4, we read about and find out about the throne of God. God is orchestrating the events that John will record. And before we read about all of those things, it's very significant that we are introduced to the throne room. It's as if God wanted to say, listen, the world is not spinning out of control. I'm in control. The one that's on the throne is the one that's in control. John shows us heaven before he shows us earth so that we might not be frightened about the future events. John shows us heaven before he shows us earth so that we can understand that everything that's going to happen in the future is under the direction of the one who is on the throne. So, let's read what's hap- what's going- what John saw when he was ushered into the throne room. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open. Now, uh, there's so much in this text that, that we could talk about for a long time. And, and there, there's a lot of symbolism we're going to be reading about. But, but John begins this way. He said, there was a, I saw a door standing open. Now, you've seen a lot of movies, haven't you, where the door's standing open? And somebody's approaching, the, and you're not sure what's behind the door. And it's like, oh, don't go through that door. Don't, don't, don't go through that door. Well, John said, I saw an open door. But where, church, where was this open door that he saw? I don't know what that would be like, but it would be, it would be such a spectacular sight to look up and see a door open into heaven. But that's what John saw. And look what he said. And the voice I heard speaking to me, the voice I had first heard speaking to me, Revelation chapter 1, he talks about this loud voice that was like a trumpet. He said, the, the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. We talked about that last week, so I'm not going to get into all of that too much. Then he says in verse 2, at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone Sitting on it. John says I was in the spirit. That that phrase in the spirit, it, it means I was in a state of heightened spiritual awareness. That John was enabled to see and to hear by the Spirit's power what earthbound man could never see on his own, could never hear on his own. That God enabled John to see what others couldn't see, that God enabled him to experience something he normally wouldn't have experienced. When his eyes and ears were supernaturally opened. The first thing that John saw was a throne in heaven. Someone sitting on it. Verse 2, let me just start in the outline. In verse 2, I want you to notice, first of all, the position of the throne. The way that John describes his throne, it's evident that it's not only the focal point of the chapter. It really is the focal point of the book. And it really, in essence, is the focal point of the universe. That everything revolves around this throne. <clears throat> you know, 400 years ago, men argued whether the earth was heliocentric, revolving around the sun, or geocentric, revolving around the earth. John settles that question for us as Christians, showing us that for us as Christians, not from a scientific standpoint, but from a theological sen- standpoint, the earth is neither heliocentric nor is it geocentric, but the earth is heliocentric theocentric and what i mean by theocentric its center is not the sun the center is not the earth the center is the throne of god did you uh, did you notice that everything in this chapter is described in its relationship to the throne let me give you some verses to look at uh, some things are said to be around the throne some things are said to be before the throne some things are s- are said to be in the midst of the throne but everything is is Centered around, in one way or another, connected to the throne. Look at the text in chapter three. I'm sorry, chapter four, verse three. He talks about in this verse, and one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. In chapter, in verse four, the first part of verse four, he talks about twenty four thrones around the throne, and look what he says in verse six. Also, before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass. And, and uh, verse 10, he talks about <clears throat> the 24 elders fall down before whom, him who sits on the throne. And they worship him forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne. The position of the throne in heaven reminds us of an important lesson. And here's what it is. And write this on the side notes. I don't, or I think there's a blank there, maybe. Here's the important lesson. God rules over all the events of history. You see, the reason this is important, church, is this. After chapter 4 in Revelation, we read about some terrifying things that one day will take place. We read about war. We read about famine and persecution. We read about the mark of the beast. We read about the Antichrist. We read about the Great Tribulation. All those kind of things. But before any of that occurs, John sees the throne in heaven to reassure us that God rules over the affairs of men and he rules over the affairs of history. Now, I want you to notice, secondly, the person on the throne. The person on the throne is, 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 of course, the most significant. In verse 3, notice, first of all, that the person is not immediately identified. You see that? He said, I saw a throne, and how did he describe who was sitting there? He said, I saw a throne, and, and how did he describe it? Yeah, someone was sitting there. He didn't say, I saw a throne, and God was sitting on it. That's the way I would have written it. I saw a throne, and and the Almighty God, creator of the universe, was sitting on it. For whatever reason, and quite honestly, I'm not exactly sure why he did it this way, but look how he describes it, chapter 4, verse verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. Then he describes this someone in verse 3. And the one who sat there, again, not mentioning God by name. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Now, we're about to read lots of different picturesque words in the next few moments. And please understand that when you're trying to, to describe what you saw in the Spirit, you have to use human terms to describe it. How do you describe what God looks like? How do you describe what heaven looks like? There's a, the only way that you can do it as a human is to put it into human terms. And so John puts it into human terms for us. And I put this on your notes. First of all, he describes the person on the throne this way. He is great in glory. He is great in glory. John says uh, in verse 3, And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper. Now, Jasper is not the opaque stone that we would call Jasper, but if you're looking at Revelation twenty one eleven, go ahead and do that. Run to Revelation 21.11. There's a, a description of Jasper here. Revelation 21.11. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper. Clear as crystal. So when John says, I want to describe God's appearance to you. He was like Jasper. He was probably saying, there there was this brilliant radiance about him. Absolute purity about him. uh, Something that was so clear, so radiant, so bright. So that's probably the reference to Jasper. And then he says he was also like what? What's the second reference? He was like what? Yeah, if you look that up, if you even Google that, you'll find that carnelian is a blood-red stone. That the stone is, is absolutely blood-red. Of course, probably symbolizing the precious blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. So He is great in glory. He's, here's how He describes the one on the, on the throne. And, but He's also great in grace. The reason I say He's great in grace is because, look what He says at the second part of verse 3. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. A rainbow encircled the throne. Now, first of all, the emerald is a, a light green color, perhaps signifying life, a symbol of life. Uh, and the rainbow a symbol of His eternal nature. There's no beginning, there's no end. It, is, it encircles uh, the throne. Now I don't know if anybody saw this. Probably lots of you did. This week in Greenville, we had an incredible rainbow. In fact, it was a double rainbow in lots of places. It was evident. How many saw the double rainbow? All right, beautiful, beautiful. I only saw it in pictures, uh, but I also saw a picture in, uh, of a somebody in, in I think it was in downtown Greenville took a picture of of the rainbow and it was a full circle. Let me show you the picture here. Isn't that amazing? And I did a little research, and I thought, well, was that just an optical thing with this camera? And the meteorologist explained that every rainbow is really a full circle. But because of where you are on the horizon, you can only see half of it. I'd never even thought about that. said if you get up high enough, then the rainbow that you see, you, you can see the other half of it. I'm putting it in layman's terms. But if you get up high enough, you can see the other half of it. You can see the full circle of the rainbow. This guy was like 400 feet in the air. I don't know how he was 400 feet in the air, but he was. And he saw the full circle. Now when I read in Revelation that reference, the same day I saw this picture. Can you imagine the throne of God right in the middle and the rainbow encircling it? Now in the Old Testament days, what was the rainbow a symbol of? Huh? Huh? A promise, and, and it, it came after the flood. came after a time of judgment, and God said, I will never judge the world like this again. I will never destroy the world like this again. The rainbow is, encircles the throne of God. And, and I don't know why, but in my mind, when I first read that, before I saw this picture, I, this is, this is going to sound silly, but imagine this is the throne, all right? I imagined the rainbow going around the throne, encircling it this way. But when I saw that picture and I read Revelation again, I believe it does indeed encircle the throne this way. Does that make sense? And and one of the cool things about that is that it is a reminder of God's gracious promise. It is a, it symbolized perhaps. I think for us, it symbolizes for the child of God. Listen, the storm is over. The judgment is over. I've taken care of all of that. There is no judgment to be faced. I've taken care of that. Judgment is about to fall on the world. But the rainbow reminds us that God will graciously take care of His people. There is not a judgment for the people of God that we have to face. God's taken care of that, hasn't He? So... Perhaps I learned something, if, if I'm correct on this, perhaps the rainbow will encircle the throne of God, like you see in that picture. That makes sense when I read the next part of the verse, because it says surrounding the throne. Again, look, at, look up here. If this is the throne, the rainbow going this way around it, then he said surrounding the throne. All right? What's surrounding the throne? Somebody tell me. 24 other thrones. And seated on them were twenty-four elders. So let me talk to you about number three on your notes there. The people and the angels surrounding the throne of God. Verses four through eight. First of all, he says there's twenty-four elders. Now, the question is, who are these twenty-four elders? It's unlikely that they are angels because we have no record of angels sitting on thrones. We have no record of angels wearing crowns or even being numbered like this. The twenty-four elders probably stands for all the saints of God through all the ages, I, I thought about bringing in my whiteboard and writing down a bunch of stuff, but uh, we don't since i 'm on a limited time frame tonight I need to, I need to condense what I was going to do. Think about it in these terms let me get up here think about these terms how many, how many tribes in the old testament in the old Testament days, how many tribes were there? twelve tribes how many apostles were there now I know some of you who graduated from Clemson or South Carolina will have to take your shoes off to count this up but what is 12 and 12 24 and I'm joking about that don't get mad at me 12 and 12 12 and 12 is 24 could it be could it be that the Old Testament days are represented in the 12 tribes of Israel and the New Testament days which would also include us, are representing the 12 apostles. And when he says there's 24 elders surrounding the throne, could it be that these 24 elders are representative of all of God's people, all of God's eternal family? Representing both those who were saved in the Old Testament and those who are saved in New Testament and beyond. Uh, I think that's a f- probably a pretty good uh, representation of all the saints of all the ages. Here are the people of God. Gathered around the throne. Now, there's, there's four living creatures that are mentioned here. Four living creatures. This is where it gets weird uh, is from our perspective. But again, John is seeing heaven. And how do you describe heaven in human terms? And so, here's, here's what it says. It talks about four living creatures, verse, verse 6. Also before the throne... There was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Um, And in the center around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. They're covered with eyes and nothing escapes their attention. They're covered with eyes, front and back. Nothing escapes their attention. But special significance is connected to these four living creatures. They are described for us. Verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion. It didn't say he was a lion, it says he was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings and and we'll get into what they were saying in a moment, but what in the world do these four living creatures represent? Well, let me say to you that there's different theories. I'm going to give you two of them. There's different theories about who these people represent or what they are, uh, but let's just look at what they might be. They appear to be some type of angelic guardians of the throne, who are leading in worship. I don't think there's a blank for you to fill in, but you might want to write that in in the column of your notes. The, The four living creatures appear to be some type of angelic guardians of the throne who we'll see in just a moment lead in worship. These are not your ordinary worship leaders. These are extraordinary worship leaders. Now, they are described for us, One is like a lion, one appears like an ox, one has the face like a man, and one was like a flying eagle. Some people say that those four represent the four Gospels. I'm not going to take the time to get into that one, but but if you want to study it, you can look it up, that these four things represent the four Gospels. Uh, One represents Matthew, one represents Mark, etc., I personally feel like that another possibility, and in my mind a more likely possibility, is that they are representative of the attributes of God. The character and the nature of God. They represent the character and the nature of God. Faithfulness would be represented by the ox. The ox is the one that faithfully was used in days of service. He was always faithful. He was always there. The ox would represent faithfulness. Um, the lion would represent majesty and power. The man would represent intelligence. And the eagle would represent the sovereignty of God. Sailing over, soaring over everything. And if you want to do a little more research, it sounds very familiar with what Ezekiel saw. You can write this down in the column again for future study. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 6 and 10. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 6 and 10. Ezekiel had a very similar uh, vision uh, of, of these things. But here's what we need to get into. So when John saw the throne of God. And he, when he saw the 24 elders. Representing all those who are saved from all over the world. And all of history. He also saw these four living creatures. And here's what you need to see. As significant. The praise before the throne of God. The praise focuses on who God is. Here's what is so significant about this. Here's beginning in verse uh, 8 Let's start reading. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under his wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We finally have a reference to who is sitting on the throne. Now we knew that ahead of time who it was, right? But, but it's finally mentioned who's sitting on the throne. The Lord God Almighty. Why? Why are these people saying all of this? Why is God being worshipped and they never stop? And I will just give you a very simple answer. It is because God is so different from us. Tell me in verse 8, what is it that they're saying? What word did they repeat? Holy. But they didn't just say it one time, and they didn't even say it two times. They said it three times. Now, mark this down somewhere. When you see the word holy used in the Bible when it's referring to things or people, it means set apart for God's use. When something was holy, it was set apart for God's use. Uh, if you were to say that this pulpit is, is holy, it is set apart for God's use, it, it cannot be used for anything else. It can only be used for God. It can only be used for service for God. We can't use it at Walmart, as, a, as at the Welcome Center. This, this can only be used for God. It's holy. It's set apart for God's use. That's what the word holy means uh, if you use it for people or for things. But when you use that word for God, I want you to notice that in heaven they're declaring God three times holy. Three times holy is one of the things that makes God, God. So interesting what they're saying in heaven. You won't find that they said joy, joy, joy. They don't, they don't say love, love, love. Now, is God love? But they don't say in heaven love, love, love. They don't say uh, in heaven good, good, good. Is God good? Yes, God is good. But they don't say in heaven good, good, good. They don't say in heaven powerful, powerful, powerful. Is God powerful? Absolutely. But that's not what they're declaring. The only place in Scripture where you see holy, holy, holy used and repeated three times, it's always used in reference to God. And when you see it repeated three times like that, it is referring to God's moral excellence. It is referring to God's perfection of character. You see, without holiness, God would not be God. And not only is He holy, He is holy, holy, holy. But not only is he holy in that regard, he is eternally holy. Look what, how it's described. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. How many phrases are, are there? Who was? One phrase. Who is? Second phrase. And is to come. Third phrase. How many times is the word holy used? Three times. Do you see the connection? He was holy. He is holy. And he forever will be holy. Who was, who is, who is to come. He is holy, holy, holy. And that's the thing that makes him different from one of the many things that makes him different from us. That's the thing that, that, that we can say, that's the reason he's God. Because he is eternally holy. His power and holiness extend. Watch this. His power and His holiness extend from eternity past to eternity yet to come. God is holy, always has been holy, always will be holy. Now, not only is He holy, but He is also a powerful creator and sustainer. Uh, in verse 11. Here's, well, let's read verse 9 to get to it. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him with their lives and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Not only is he holy, but God is also powerful and creator. How is he described in verse 11? In verse 11, it gives us a good definition and description of, of worship as it describes God. It says, you are, what's that next word? You are what? Worthy. worthy you are worthy. Worship is attributing ultimate worth to something. It can be an object, it can be a person, it can be anything. Worship is valuing one thing above something else. Worship is is showing the worthship of someone. And when we sing praises to God, we are proclaiming that God is worthy, that God Is worth what we are saying. We are testifying about his power. That his power exceeds all other power. That his love is greater than any other love. We're saying that his glory outshines the brilliance of all the sons of the galaxy. And so when John looked into heaven. He saw them worshiping. He says you are worthy. Our Lord and God. To receive glory and honor and power. And here's the reason. For you created all things. And by your will they were created have their being you know when we're saying that God is worthy of worship what we're really saying is nothing really compares to him he's greater than anything else in all the world and so put this on your notes a lesson real worship always involves surrender real worship always involves surrender and the reason I say that is if you'll go back uh To verse 10. Go back one verse to verse 10. The 24 elders who fall down before him. Who sits on the throne. And worship him who lives forever and ever. And notice this. They lay their crowns before the throne. They lay their crowns before the throne. John says when I got when I got a glimpse into heaven I saw all the saints take their crowns and say God only you are worthy everybody else is there by grace nobody else will be there because they're worthy Nobody else will be in heaven because they, they met a certain standard and they're worthy of being in heaven. Nobody else is going to be in heaven because they're worthy except the Father, Son, and the Spirit and the angels that are there. Uh, but, uh, but when you talk about people, uh, we're not going to be there because we are worthy. We're going to be there because we are loved and because God is a God of grace. And that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's the only way we're going to be there. It's not going to be because of all that we've done. And all the goodness that we've done. We're going to be there not because we're worthy. We're going to be there because. He is worthy. And only he is worthy. So John. Before God gave him a picture. Of all the bad things that are going to happen in the book of Revelation. All the scary things that are going to happen. All the terrifying things that are going to happen. All the demonic things that are going to happen. Before God laid that out. He says come up here. Come come, come on. Come, Come up here John. Come on up here. I want you to see something. When he went through the door into heaven. And he got that glimpse of what heaven is like. He saw a throne. And he saw who's in charge. And he is worthy of our worship. So I'm going to ask you this. um, As we go through Revelation, especially after we get out of chapter 5, when we get into chapter 6, you're going to be reading some very scary things. And you're going to be looking at some things. It's like, my goodness, that's going to be awful. Uh, but, But don't lose sight of the throne. Don't lose sight of the throne. Because though Satan is powerful, he is not as powerful as the one who sits on the throne. Now, now let me ask you one other question before we leave. Does he sit on the throne of your heart? The one who sits on the throne in heaven, does he occupy the throne of your heart? I hope and pray that he does. I want you to pray with me about that. Father, we recognize that you are the one that we need more than we need anything. We recognize, Lord, that there's only two people, two types of people in the world. Those who have enthroned Christ in their lives and those who have enthroned self. I pray that tonight, if there's anyone who still has self on the throne. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, they would recognize that and they would declare, Lord, you are worthy. And I want you to sit on the throne of my heart, on the throne of my life. And I want you to be in charge of my future. God, I pray you change lives. As we look at your word and as we think about who you are and who we are in relation to you. Thank you for showing us ahead of time that you are the God of all creation and you are the God and sustainer of all life and you are in charge of history, that it ultimately is your story. And we thank you for that comfort. In Christ's name I pray, amen.